0: Hello and welcome to Conversations in Economic Central. This is Mrs. B and this week I'm interviewing Paul Bloxham, the Chief Economist at HSBC Bank. It was great to catch up with Paul again today, who happened to be in Perth, which was nice. And I was able to talk to Paul about his take on the economy's recovery since the pandemic recession last year, what the main strengths and weaknesses are currently, and also to talk about productivity, which Year 12, you'll know, is the last topic of Unit 4 that we'll be moving on to early in term, term 2. So listen up to Paul's answers. He provides a very useful insight that I'm sure will help your understanding. All right, so the first question is this, um, why did the Australian economy perform better relative to other major economies around the world in 2020, do you think?
1: Uh, Well, I I think the first point to make is we performed better than quite a few advanced economies, but there are other economies that have done better than Australia through this episode. Um, But it is fair to say we've done quite well. And Mm -hmm. I think there are two key aspects to that story. One is, um, we handled the virus quite well, but we did also, and we have to keep this in mind, have some pretty good natural advantages. There was a great benefit to being a distant island. You could shut the border, it's a hard border, people can't get here. It kept the case numbers much, much lower than otherwise would have been the case. So that made it easier to manage the, the pandemic itself. And then I think the other big aspect was that we spent an enormous amount of, of money supporting the economy. I mean, the government delivered a huge yeah. amount of fiscal stimulus. If you were to rank countries uh, across a spectrum, we'd be right at the top end, not quite mm-hmm. the top. The US has spent more in terms of its fiscal yeah. spending, but we're in that sort of basket where we spent about 15% of GDP on the combination of JobKeeper and mm-hmm. the JobSeeker coronavirus supplement, the support for small businesses, the checks to households, and the list goes on. There's a fair bit more, including, of course, the RBA lowering its policy rate, and launching its QE program, and so on. So, strong policy stimulus and uh, success with the virus. But I think part of the success with the virus is is that natural benefit of of, of the butter clutches and the fact that we've got we're, we're an island,
0: mm. which sometimes has been to our not to our advantage. But in this case, was hugely advantageous compared to,
1: you know, some yes, of the mainland like, European... Back to the tyranny of distance, if you like, from <laughs> yeah. 60 years ago, and yeah. say Australia suffered from its tyranny of distance. But I think we could also argue that Australia, over recent decades, in fact, has been benefiting from proximity to Asia. So, yeah. originally, it was a, a, a tyranny of distance from our markets in Europe, um, you know, if you go far enough back in our history, but in, in, in more recent decades, it's been we've been proximate to Asia, where mm. the growth story's been different kind of geographical story that's protected us this time around, but nonetheless the geography has been quite
0: helpful. I mean, again, you can take that geography story even a little bit further. It's not just the border closures, actually the internal geography of our cities yeah.
1: um, and our, uh, is, is quite helpful too. A lot of suburbs, uh, sub- suburban houses, a lot of detached mm. dwellings, not yeah. a lot of people living in apartment buildings, mm. these sorts of things all have helped. Outdoor lifestyle. I mean, this yeah. has all been quite helpful for making the pandemic a a lesser uh, challenge for us than it has been for a lot of other countries.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. I would agree. So at the moment, we've had some good strong figures on unemployment today, which was good news. What do you think are the key strengths in the Australian economy?
1: Well, the main thing is we've got the virus under control. We've delivered a lot of fiscal support and the economy is in an upswing. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of also what's going to continue to support growth, at least over the next couple of quarters, is that a lot of that fiscal spending ended up being saved by the household sector. The mm. household saving rate went up a lot. It was yeah. about
0: 5%. Yeah, covid
1: It went to 22.5%
0: in wow. the second quarter of 2020. And so households couldn't spend it, all
1: of the all of the income and the transfers though, because a lot of the services just weren't available. Mm. But they saved it instead. And the rundown of that saving, which we expect to continue over the next few quarters, will continue to support a pickup in consumer spending. Right. That's the positive story. The challenge is uh, that Australia still faces a few headwinds. Uh, one of the headwinds is that, of course, we've still got a closed international border. For, so yeah. all, for all the talk of the benefit mm-hmm. of having a border you could close, well, that is also the major cost. Uh, we've mm-hmm. closed the international border. That's stalling migration. It's stalling mm-hmm. international tourism. It's stopped the foreign students coming here. Yeah. Services exports are stalled, but also the migration flow has been a really big mm-hmm. driver of population growth and then GDP growth in in Australia in recent years. So while that border's closed, that's a pretty big challenge. I think another challenge is that, well, the pandemic has delivered some behavioural changes. We are, more people are working from home. Mm. More people are buying more things online rather than going to the shopping centres. There's less business travel going on. And less travel in general and these sorts of things are quite large behavioural changes that the economy still needs to fully absorb mm-hmm. and then i think the final one would be our relationship with china has become quite a bit more strained recently mm-hmm. particularly post-covid yeah. and that's although that's not presenting a huge challenge for exporters right now because iron ore demand is so strong um, I think over time it will become an increasing challenge that we need to, we need to watch out for. So although Australia is in this upswing, uh, there are some challenges that we still have to deal with.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Now, there's been a lot of talk uh, over the recent sort of six months or so about productivity. That, that term has started to be banded around a lot more than we'd heard previously and the need for this supply-side reform of the economy. Could you explain to our students, when they hear this term productivity, what is it we are referring to?
1: What we mean by productivity growth is you want to be able to, every year, more efficiently produce more output with the same number of inputs. And that's basically what we mean. Um, you know, If we have a certain amount of labour and a certain amount of capital that we put together, people and, and, and machines and we combine and we use that to create output in the economy, what we what we call GDP. And what we want to be doing is every year be getting better at combining those things so that actually you get growth without having to put more people or more of that capital in. And that's really what we call productivity growth. And in principle, productivity growth is really all that you can think of that's going to lift living standards in the medium term. It's mm-hmm. getting more efficient at things, doing things better. So how do you get more productivity growth? Well, really at the pointy end, it's, it's all about businesses and their choices about doing things differently to try and improve things, uh, improve efficiency. Um, but also, you can, policymakers can have a role. Yeah. I mean, one of the role policymakers provide is to set a, a tax system that's efficient, so it encourages businesses to make investment and do hiring. Another thing that policymakers can do is they can build infrastructure, um, which reduces congestion and allows again supports businesses to make decisions that might make them operate more efficiently um, these are the sorts of things that we look to for mm. our policy makers so tax reform infrastructure our particular folks industrial relations reform to make the labor market more competitive these are the sorts of things that allow us to combine that capital and labor more efficiently and then get more of a lift in productivity growth now productivity growth has been really dismal mm. in recent yeah, years it it's been very poor Here, it's been very poor in most of the advanced world, and so economists are asking lots of questions. We don't really know the answers to exactly why it slowed down so much. One of the things we know is there's been this missing reform agenda, and so that's kind of what we're all pushing for, Mm We're this idea that COVID shock should encourage governments to use the the crisis as an opportunity to do reform, the sorts of reform things that I've just talked about in terms of supporting growth. There's also another possibility here, though, and that is we haven't had a recession in Australia now for 29 years, the first one we've had. This is a big shock. It's Mm -hmm. adjusting behavior. We talked about that a little bit earlier. It's leading to a lot more digitization, a lot Mm -hmm. more work from home, a lot more online retail sales, a lot less business travel. Digitization is often pointed to as one of the key things that will help the productivity growth. So it's possible that the shock itself will deliver a bit of a lift in productivity. Think about Mm -hmm. maybe that this has improved the efficiency of the way we operate. If if it used to be the case that five days a week, you hopped on a train (laughs) and went to the city, And you took up two two hours of your day getting there and getting back. And now you can work from home a bit more and you've determined that that's a bit more efficient. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of one way you could think about a simple example of of an improvement in your your own efficiency. Collectively, that Mm -hmm. might lead to some productivity growth. So there's lots of different thoughts about how productivity growth fits into the picture. But it is fundamentally the only way that we lift living standards over time is by improving our productivity growth.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of productivity in Australia and improvements, how much has it improved over, the, say, the last 10 years?
1: It's been very weak. I mean, I think the broad story here is that uh, over the last decade, uh, productivity growth has been very weak compared to the previous decade. Um, and, and I guess it deserves a bit of an explanation. Um, There are multiple explanations out there. Now, one possibility is the one I referred to, that we did a lot of reform in Australia in the 80s and the Mm -hmm. 90s, and that reform actually helped us to do things more efficiently It had a lagged effect. And then when the reform agenda kind of came to its end and we haven't really had much big bang reform in Australia, economic reform at all, the GST was probably the last thing you could really tangibly point to, and that came through in 2000, so over 20 years ago. Um, but we haven't had a lot of reform, so maybe it's that lack of reform that's yeah. actually slowing down the pace um, of, 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 uh, of productivity growth. Another possibility, and there's a, a really good work out there that if, if your students want to have a look at, it's, it's written by a fellow named Robert Gordon, and it looks at American history. Right. It, it talks about – it's called The Rise and Fall of American Growth. And what it talks about is the idea that actually – A lot of the really big inventions have already happened. The things that Mm. we would would have changed our lives or revolutionized our lives, you know, water to the house, uh, Mm. electricity, uh, uh, urbanization, just a whole collection of things. Um, We we, we don't fly any faster now between two locations than we did 50 years ago, for Mm. example. A lot of those really big inventions that came along and changed the way we lived between 1870 Mm. and 1970, We've had technological developments since then, but they haven't been nearly as big as those earlier ones. So what he's arguing is those ones really led to strong productivity growth. We should now expect that actually we aren't going to see revolutionary changes that actually lead to the same rates of productivity growth. We should expect expect slower rates of productivity growth in a medium-term. Just two arguments. There's a whole rich literature on this stuff that your students can obviously dig into. As as they should. This is... This is one of the fundamental questions uh, in economics is mm. how do you improve productivity
0: growth do you think there's been perhaps too much focus um, on the demand side of the economy over the last ten fifteen years I
1: think that that certainly it's certainly the case that we've we 've gotten into a world where we believe that managing demand is sufficient and we haven 't had enough reform on the supply mm. side so i mean this is this is often attributed to being one of the the, you know, one of the, the, the products of the success of central mm. banks being inflation mm. down, for example. Yeah. I mean, you think about where we've been in Australia. Mm. We've had the most stable period of growth up until the pandemic yeah. arrived um, in, our, in our history. Yeah. Uh, a very long, uh, you know, an, an almost, almost three decades of,
0: of, of growth. recession. Yeah. Very steady growth. And a lot of the success mm. there is, is due to the
1: fact that the economy is more flexible and the currency moves and it's, 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 it's floating. We've had a financial system that's been very effective and we have a central bank. It's been very effective Yeah. because of that success. One of the products of that success may very well have been that we have had less impetus for other policymakers, governments to make the reform yeah. to, to focus on the supply side. So in some ways you could say the economic success has actually been at the cost of not having the sort of reform on the supply side that you would have hoped for. Now, hopefully the idea is that, you know, a shock like this, the pandemic, um, forces us to reconsider you know, that supply-side policy needs to be in focus again. Although, I must say, I'm rather sceptical at this point. I haven't seen a whole lot of evidence that there's a large reform agenda in the works. Um, mm. and, uh, and,
0: and I, uh, I would uh, agree with you. Yeah, I think, yeah. So. I, I think it, I mean, it's, it's more difficult. The reform of the supply side of the economy requires a lot more uh, innovative thinking, perhaps, and, and patience to see it out.
1: Yeah, I think part of the argument is also that a lot of the big things that were obvious are, have already been done. Yeah. Like uh, you know, deregulating the labour market, uh, floating the Aussie dollar, deregulating the financial system, opening up, reducing tariff barriers, and opening us up to global mm. to, to free trade—they're all done. So when you want to go and look for the list of things you might do now, they're more sort of more—it's more a collection of small things.
0: Which brings and me on to my next things. question in a minute. But carry on, sorry, Paul.
1: <laughs> a collection of small things is often harder to politically motivate. Especially, I mean, we, we talk about in economics, we talk about in politics, we talk about ribbon-cutting events. You know, yeah. politicians like things that they can go and say, "Well, we're doing, we're building this and yeah. we're building that." And it's much harder to motivate a large collection of small reforms in things that are not particularly, um, you know, don't have that sort of political appeal. Yeah. Um, and so that's where we're at. There's a lot of little things that need to be done. Tax reform. I mean, tax reform is the least sexy thing you could probably talk yeah. about, right? Yeah. Um, and But it's, it's probably a lot of what we need to focus on if we're mm-hmm. going to try and make the economy more efficient.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was actually going to be my next question. So what sort of reforms could be introduced and what would be the benefits to our economy?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think the place you start is tax reform, as, <laughs> as unsexy as it is. Um, I, you know, the... the, the, the that's where you start because, yeah. and, and you know, Ken Henry set this out in his 138-point plan back in 2010, I think it was, so, you know, over a decade ago now.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, we have a tax system that is increasingly inefficient. It relies mm. more and more on household, uh, pers- the personal income tax system and the corporate right. tax system. These yeah. are quite distorting taxes. They, mm. you know, higher personal income tax cuts, uh, taxes are yeah. uh, distorted.
0: Uh, discourage people from participating in the labor market, mm. higher
1: corporate taxes discourage investment by yeah. the corporates. On the other hand, we have this GST that really is very low and doesn't cover, and now covers less than half of what people consume and yeah. very little of the tax, where revenue is actually drawn from the mm. GST. But we really need a rebalancing of the tax system. Yeah. Again, what I'm describing is sort of, uh, it's almost economics 101 now, it's, it's yeah. people, people understand, economists have all been saying this for years mm. and years, but it's politically talented, politically anathema. In fact, it's really hard politically anathema. It's very hard for them to get actually get to achieve that. So that's one area. Um, infrastructure is actually we've seen some positive developments. Yes, yeah. it, it, ha, it has been. We have seen a ramp up in infrastructure yeah. spending, particularly at the state level, and that's that's something to be be, to be positive about. Mm. Um, it was a bit of a disappointment that we didn't get the um, the the Omnibus Bill on on on, on, on industrial relations yeah. recently. It really tells you just how fraught that area is in terms of making further reforms. And then I think the next focus or a big focus ought to be on climate um, and, uh, and energy policy. So the combination of those two things, um, if you want to encourage the private sector to invest more in uh, green technology and, in, and moving us in, in, in a direction which it uses it produces less carbon, it needs mm. to be clarity about Absolutely. the policy environment so that yeah. private, the private sector might feel like they can make investments. And we haven't yeah. had that in Australia. Yeah. You know, we introduced a carbon tax in 2012, we removed out. it in yeah. 2014. We, you know, we've chopped and changed yeah. this all around so that there isn't that clarity. And now we need more direction and more clarity in that space. So those are the main ones that I would be focused on. I mean, aside from that, you can think of education as an important thing as well. Yeah. Investing in education. Um, health is another one that, that also is important as well. So mm. there's a long list of things.
0: So when, he, when are you going to be the next Prime Minister so you can implement these things more?
1: <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs>
0: no, I have to say, I, I wouldn't be touching any of those positions with a barge pole. I can't imagine anything worse. Than, it's like uh, a very complicated job. Oh. Well, you can't do anything right, can you? Because, some, you know, they can't. Whatever they do, they can't win. Whatever their politics are. It's a complicated
1: are. job. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the thing that I, I... I talk to politicians every now and then, they ask for it, and, I, you know, often they're asking me how you, how we can do these sorts of reforms, and I say, well, actually, I'm the economist. I'm going to tell you what you ought to do. It's really mm-hmm. the, poli- the political people who need to work you out then need how to tell this, and do and do yeah. this to the public. I mean has to be a sense in which you can do some policy that's for the national interest and that not everyone wins from every policy change. That's
0: right. Yeah. If everyone
1: wins from every policy change then you can't possibly achieve reform. No. You have to correct you know, and, and what we've got in Australia is a uh, at least in, in our recent history is a is mm. it's clear that you need to buy you know, you, you in order to do reform you have to pay off those people who don't mm. who, who suffer from the change. Um, I guess one of the small disappointments then in that regard is that we've spent a lot on you know, supporting the economy in the face of the COVID shock, mm-hmm. which we needed to do, but we didn't use any of that seemingly to then trade off against reform. Correct, yeah. You know, That's right, you know, yeah. A, a to the economy.
0: Which would have been an opportunity to do some of that.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Well, you've actually very well managed to answer all those questions brilliantly in a fairly short period of time for us. That was a pretty good effort, I must say. Well, that's it from Economic Central this week. Many thanks to Paul Bloxham for yet again giving up his uh, valuable time to talk to me and to give some really useful insights into productivity and the state of our economy as it is today. Bye for now.